Thought Leadership from PwC. Welcome to PwC's Accounting Podcast. I'm Heather Horn. Today we're on for episode four of our year-end toolkit series, a handful of episodes right at the beginning of the year for those of our listeners who are going through their year-end financial reporting process. As always, even for those of you who are not directly in year-end, I promise this information will be relevant for you wherever you are in your cycle. This week, we're focusing on managing audit committee communications. This is not taking them through the entire 10K, but it's focusing them on what's changed. Are there new, any new accounting policies or any new standards that the company had to adopt? Uh, any significant transactions, unusual transactions that could impact the format of the statements, the results in the statements, or related disclosures? That's my guest, Stephen Parker, partner in PwC's Governance Insights Center. With more than 30 years of experience at PwC, Stevens worked with many boards of directors to advise on a variety of complex matters in the context of their company's operations, technical accounting, and SEC and financial reporting. I know from my own experience working with Steven, he has a wealth of knowledge to share with you about the best ways to manage through the year-end audit committee process. And with that, let's get started. Stephen, welcome to the podcast, and thank you so much for joining me. Looking forward to our conversation to hear all your tips and tricks for managing audit committee communications. And uh, as listeners to our show know, you and I have worked together before, and I have, from my own observation, I know this is an area that you are excellent at managing an audit committee, so looking forward to all your insight from your current role. Um, but for the benefit of our listeners, can you just share some of your background in terms of you know, where you came from and your, um, in terms of working specifically with boards and audit committees. You bet, Heather. And thank you for having me. It's, it's good to see you and good to be with you and, uh, and hoping, uh, looking forward to just a great conversation with you about a topic that does, um, mean a lot to me. And I, I think, um, gives boards a chance to have a significant impact on the way companies are run these days. You know, and just in terms of my history, uh, you and I go back quite a ways, um, but but I, I go back even further than you. And you know, I have uh, I've been serving public companies um, for over thirty years, and and about twenty plus years as a partner. So so had a, have a lot of experience in the audit committee room itself, in the boardroom, working with directors as a practitioner. Um, in, in February, March of 2020, I transitioned about 75% of my time to our Governance Insights Center. And that's a small group, kind of came out of our assurance practice, uh, that, that exists to, uh, to serve directors in, uh, in their uh, fulfillment of their oversight role over management. And, and we do that by... Um, you know, by spending time with directors, by providing thought leadership to directors, um, helping audit committee members, uh, you know, get onboarded in terms of their new roles. Um, we also work with investors to, to, to not just understand their expectations, but also to share, kind of share for them what goes on in the boardroom. And, and maybe even most importantly, we have really begun to spend a lot of time with senior executives and support, helping them um, support directors in their oversight role. So really uh, being, um, you know, that, that, uh, that conduit between the director and senior executives to kind of understand both sides and equipping executives to, uh, to help directors be more efficient and effective in their roles. Well, Stephen, that's a perfect lead-in because, as you know, our audience is mostly made up of people in the finance function and then, of course, people within PwC. And uh, I think that idea of sort of translating what boards and audit committee, what boards and audit committees are being asked and then how, you know, those of us who are audit partners and, you know, controllers and CFOs and everyone else who's sort of involved, how they can support them is, I think, you know, what we really want to hone in on today. 
So with all that backdrop, although separately, I might have to ask you about starting a new job right before the pandemic started, but, but that could yeah, yeah. totally sidetrack us. Yes, but, um, but sticking to today's topics, you know, this time of year is when finance teams um, with calendar year ends are really looking ahead. Many of them have already put together audit committee materials, or they're working on that frantically right now. And as they're thinking about some of those what are, you know, I know you kind of take a step back and think of this as sort of seven core responsibilities of audit committees, uh, which is a lot, uh, which we're going to talk, there's probably even more than that. But what are those seven key areas that you focus in on? Yeah, I, uh, I, I this is a great question and and very relevant, Heather. I, I can tell you that just even, even in the last five or six days, I've talked to several executive members of executive teams about their upcoming January, February presentation. So I, I know our audience is thinking about this. And, um, and so hopefully, uh, you know, this information will be really timely for them. And, and we both know that um, the audit committee agenda has become, you know, just more and more packed over the last couple years, for sure. Um, brought on by the, certainly by things around the pandemic and, and some of the challenges that we just face as a society, um, the changing risk um, environment, complexity of those risks and things has made the, the audit committee job uh, a challenging one. But, but we do always come back to, um, you know, there's a lot to do, but let's not forget what, what these core oversight responsibilities are. You got to kind of start there first. You've got to be able to not just check those boxes, but you've got to be able to navigate those responsibilities, and then you can handle some of those other things. The uh, the good news is is that some of these core responsibilities, they're all going to be really um, you know straightforward. They're going to make sense to every one of the members of our audience, and and so the discussion is is more on a change basis. And, and maybe I'll just kind of go through them real quickly and and explain to you what I'm what I mean. Um, but, but I think if, I, if, I, if I'm in the chair of a senior executive, you know, CFO, CAO, kind of uh, even, even potentially uh, chief compliance officer thinking about this upcoming meeting, um, you know, what are the things that I'm, I'm thinking about including in my materials, maybe in my, my discussion points for that meeting? And, you know, at the audit committee level, the, the first, the foremost responsibility they have is oversight of the financial reporting process and controls that a company has. So you think about that as foundation, and we know that that is foundational to everything in financial reporting. And, and so with, with most audit committees where people have served for, you know, year, years, um, management's role here is really to, to talk about that process and their controls on a change basis. So, you know, what's changed here as we get, as we get into the year-end period? a reminder about what's really changed period over period. And the things that, that you would focus on would be things like um, your resources, your people. Um, do we have new people in roles? Because, you know, controls are done oftentimes by people and different people could have an impact on the effectiveness or uh, operation of those controls. Um, do you have the same people in different roles? So they've had to learn some new role that that could create um, a, a potential concern, or maybe everybody's in the same role and, and it's all good. Um, we, we, we know that a lot of companies have been navigating finance transformation. So are there any new key systems that management is relying on as they execute those controls? Um, any changes in the systems or automated controls that the audit committee should be aware of? Um, and then just general process and control changes, just as you get more efficient, you know, Again, thinking about those things that are significant. Um, of course, the remote work environment could have changed some of those processes. Uh, and then finally, at this time of the year, you probably have a handle of whether there's been any deficiencies in controls that have been identified, you know, any unremediated deficiencies. And I think talking about um, those, those matters that are significant should be on your, your, uh, your you know, in your materials for purposes of, of updating the audit committee. And that really covers that baseline, that foundation. Um, the next one is, is really around oversight of the financial statements themselves and the reporting. 
And again, this is not taking them through the entire 10K, um, but it's focusing them on what's changed. Are there new, any new accounting policies or any new standards that the company had to adopt? Uh, any significant transactions, unusual transactions that could impact the, the format of the statements, the results in the statements or related disclosures? Um, we, we, you know, I mentioned kind of the, the changing complex risk environment. Are there new risk factors that have been added to that, that probably long laundry list of risk factors that you have in a K? But what are the ones, the new ones that they ought to focus on? In, in the space of ESG, is management doing anything in terms of disclosures, getting ahead on human capital type disclosures, anything new that might be related to human capital, climate, you know, other ESG related things. We know the SEC hasn't passed any new rulemaking, but some management teams are going to want to get a little bit ahead of the curve there. Point that out to the audit committee. Um, and then any changes maybe in non-GAAP measures, you know, MD&A changes that exist. I think pointing them again to what's new, what's different is a good way to help them efficiently work through their oversight responsibility around the financial statements. Then, of course, the audit committee has oversight responsibility of external audit. Um, they're going to want to know, you know, and this is not your audience, but they can coach their audit partners on, you know, quickly, what's the status, any changes in risk assessment, um, any changes in scope. I mean, again, it's, it's more of a change basis kind of reporting. Uh, internal audit also has, uh, uh, the audit committee has oversight responsibility over that function. And, and they'll want to talk about um, how have they performed against their plan? What are the significant findings? So not all findings, not, you know, not getting into every report that they did, but, but what is it that really should be brought to the attention of the audit committee? Um, I think here, again, a change in their team. Do they have any holes in, uh, in, in competencies that, that they need? Have they had turnover um, you know, in light of everything going on? Um, and, and maybe even in this meeting, they're talking about next year's plan. So that could be a, a topic. And then the last three things, you know, one big bucket around risk oversight, just just general risk. And, and this depends on the audit committee because each audit committee has oversight over different risks. You know, sometimes we see cyber at the audit committee. We might see third party risks. Today, we might even see elements of talent management. So what is it around risk that needs to be brought up separately? And then finally, and not, and not lastly, um, what's going on in the compliance and ethics area? So key trends um, and, and also around fraud prevention and, and detection. And, and, and here, it could be a little bit of discussion around how does management have, have their finger on the pulse of culture? Um, so, so those are core. Those boxes have got to be checked. Those discussions um, have got to be had. And, and and I would say those materials have to be provided. It, it could be that some of these don't, don't deserve much discussion at all because maybe there's not much change. There's not much of a negative trend. But you got to kind of cover these seven things off as you think about these upcoming meetings. All right. And I know there's a long laundry list of other things, but staying focused on these, these core items first. Just curious, when you were running through that, and you talked a lot about change base, and I can picture, you know, audit committee materials with things highlighted, you know, these are new, focus on this and, and some of those things. But how much of this do you think is really sort of autopilot that companies, you know, they have their schedules that sort of say each meeting what we're going to talk about, and they have the right process in place to make sure this information is being communicated? Or from your work with various audit committees, where do you really think, man, you know, management really could step up their game and be doing a better job on this? Yeah, so I, I appreciate your point because it reminds me of a point I did want to make. So I, I think management teams really do a pretty good job in this area um, and they've gotten better. So I told you, I've been kind of, I've been learning this, this business, this governance business pretty significantly for the, for the last two years. Um, and, and I've seen a lot of improvement. I, I can tell from my conversations, I'm looking at their materials but, or maybe I should say, and, you know, it, it's the and, um, there is room for continued improvement. And, and, and it comes in, uh, let me just throw out a couple of things out there. So I, I think 
management teams can still use more dashboards to report status. I'll give you an excellent example. Just yesterday, I was having a discussion with a chief audit executive. And, and we asked in, in the course of our conversation, I said, tell me what you're going to show them from a, one of the sections was their operational um, uh, results. So everything they'd done for the last two months of the year. And she took us through this deck, pretty short deck. First page was an executive summary. Um, it, it was a good executive summary. It was all words, though. It was all words. And yet it could have been about six different you know, tables or graphs and, and very few words. And it would have told the audit committee in just a glance that everything was fine because everything was fine. But, but you had to read through the whole thing to figure out that everything was fine versus just seeing like you think about stoplight kind of reports. You know, th- this CAE could have put this together with, with all sorts of green. And as a, as a reader of that, as a, if I put myself in an audit committee member's position, I could have gotten very comfortable with what happened in the last two months of the year in a split second by looking at, at great dashboard reporting. And we talked about that. And, and this CAE said, that's a great idea. You know, I can't do that because my reports do like that night. Yeah, today. But, 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 but hey, I'm going to try to do that. So I, I think her report was a great report. Nothing wrong with it, but it could it could get a little bit better. It could help um, the, the, the committee be effective. And then the other thing we talked about is when you get to the time in the agenda. So I, I said, how much time do you have on this? Well, she had 10 minutes on the agenda to talk about these two months. We talked through it. You know, I think we decided you could probably get through it in two minutes because there really wasn't much to talk about. I mean, if she had had a couple of really significant findings or some negative trends or yeah, you, you got to spend the time. But when when everything's working like it's supposed to, you know, as with probably many of of our our clients, um, then then you need to you need to save that time because there are things that really deserve some more deep dive time. And and so it's this kind of regular stuff. You, you give them the information, you you allow for a chance for questions, but you let the material speak for themselves efficiently and you move on. And and I think that was well received by her. So I just I do think there's this continuous improvement opportunity. Um, the, the second piece of it would be, and maybe I'll make it two things, is that there are places where dashboards don't necessarily work. I mean, you can't use a dashboard necessarily to explain what's different in the 10K. But, but we see a lot of our CFOs, CAOs use great two-page summary memos that point, point the reader, the audit committee member, to the top four or five things and maybe even a couple points about why this stuff is here. And, and then the next piece that I think is, is best practice stuff is when you get into the meeting you don't flip the pages. You know, you, you just say, we included our two-page summary. You've got the information. Ideally, the, the, the committee members are giving you comments in advance of the meeting. So maybe your time is spent responding to their comments or it's focused on responding to their questions. It's not, it's not management flipping pages of a deck. And, you know, even with a couple of the clients I still serve, I still see some of that flipping pages in a deck. And I think that's where we've all got to get better at. I mean, even our partners and and senior managers who are responsible for delivering some of those messages in the meeting, we need to be better focused at just communicating what's important and not not flipping, you know, if you look on page seven, you look on page eight, because that's just not efficient. So, Stephen, it sounds like things are good in this area sort of overall, but it can you know, improvement to your point is like, just because the reports always work, but what if you could do it even better? And I think in particular, you know, most of the people listening to this are going to take a lot of pride in their work. So to the point, your person you were talking to yesterday, they said, well, I can't do it today. Okay, well, maybe you can't do it for this year, but is there something here that you could communicate differently for next year? Because I think the other point you made, and I think it's sort of a theme we're going to have here is balance. And so what you're saying is make sure you cover everything but if it doesn't need the 10 minutes, then spend the 10 minute, the eight minutes on something that, that deserves that extra discussion and don't belabor a point just because that's the way the agenda was originally set. Uh, I think you said that well. And, and if I just, just, just to add a little bit to that, um, 
you know, I, I think in, in your in in your earlier setup of this, it was it was around you know some of our clients have I mean they they've they've got well thought out calendars and agendas and and the like, and I think that's that's great. I, I think you need to kind of have that, but but what's more important today is the is the willingness to exercise some agility as you get closer to that meeting that you might need to move some things around in the agenda. And, you know, Heather, I would be willing to bet you've served clients like this. I, I know I, I served a lot like this. Every agenda was almost exactly the same. I mean, yes. you know, it went in the exact same order, right? And everybody had almost the exact same amount of time that they had every time. And, 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 when and I, often they went over yeah, because yeah, some yeah, things that, that, needed more time than they got on the agenda. That's right. And and so when I talk to directors today, they're very willing to say, you know what? I mean, yeah, if 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 the internal audit report is the most important thing on our agenda tomorrow, why is it in the seven slot? You know, why isn't it first? Um, if it's the most important thing, you know, what's the most important thing we need to tackle tomorrow? Why is that not the first agenda item? And um, and most of them kind of shake their head and they say, yeah, I, I, I don't have a good answer for that question, except that we've just always gone in this order, you know, and, and because things are, are changing so quickly, I think the, the the better practices are that that uh, committees are able and management teams are able to, you know, be agile and move things around. And that way, even if you know, sometimes it's us, right? I mean, our status report, we we feel like we need to get there and talk for five minutes to validate our fees or our what you know our value. When the fact is, our report may say all that it needs to say, and we can say. Our, our, you know, there's been no changes to the report we delivered last week. We're happy to answer any questions you have. And we give them back some time to be, and this was the other comment, uh, to be more strategic. And, and so our audience, I, I encourage our, our, um, our senior executive team members to, yeah, you got this report, you know, whether it, maybe it's the compliance and ethics report. I mean, how often do we get really excited about that? But but in today's world of the great resignation and all, I mean, there's there's some strategic elements to getting a feel for what's going on. And and, there, and that compliance and ethics officer may be able to have a few comments that speak to strategy, not just what they found, you know, what what's being reported. And so use that opportunity to, to be strategic. That'll show more value in your role than validating how many reports you did and and all that phone calls. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So Stephen, I want to come back to the relationship between senior management and the audit committee, but you've mentioned a few times strategy agility. And so I don't, I would don't want to skip over that. And I do think, you know, we talked about these core responsibilities, but even this morning, I got an email from GIC from the Governance Insights Center about, I think, oversight of ESG, I think was the topic. And I'll put a plug in. It's a good newsletter. Um, I, I recommend it. But how if I'm a say board member and I just got that or I'm the senior management now I'm like I have this huge list already now I have all these new topics so first maybe let's start with what are some of the new topics that you're seeing as sort of these hot buttons right now and we're going to talk about how to manage them okay all right um, so so we'll kind of just cover off some of that are on the list yes and um, and I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna get to ESG but but I would tell you, uh, in, in our October 2021 directors survey, um, I think the directors said that they thought in 2022, more time was going to need to be spent on talent risk management than strategy. First time ever. And, and you know, if you're, I don't know, if, if, you, if you're not paying attention too much, you might think that's that's got to be a mistake. I mean, how could that be that big of an issue? And and when you think about at the board level, um, committee structure level, what's their their historical oversight responsibility around talent has been? You know, with the CEO, mm-hmm. maybe maybe the C suite, yeah, yeah, but 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 not not middle management, not you know, not too far not into openings. the organization. 
Yeah, not openings in the accounting department. Yeah, yes, so they, that's exactly yeah. right. That's exactly right. But but so now we have you know directors and even CEOs telling us that we didn't make this up that they think 2022 the biggest that the biggest issue that the boards are going to face is is oversight of talent risk management. Strategy would be right there. ESGs, you know, probably second, third, two. I mean, I mean, strategy is clearly an obvious call out for for the board. Um, and and so ESG and and that will continue to evolve. The SEC will have certain rulemaking. Stakeholders will continue to to put pressure. So so the bar is continuing to go up. Um, cybersecurity would be on that list. Um, third party risk, third party contracting risk would be on that risk on the, on that list. Um, I, I think tax is on that list, and and you know it 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 could be bigger or less important depending on what kind of legislation um, we we have coming down the pipe. What what might come out over the next you know, two to three months or four months. So those are, um, those are some of the big ticket items. And, and for the audit committee, I mean, it depends, right? Cause, cause not every audit committee, um, let's take cyber for, for a second. I'm, then I'm gonna come right to ESG and, and your question, but it's cyber. I think about, about 40 plus percent, 44% of audit committees have oversight responsibility of cyber and about 44% um, of other companies, keep it at the full board. And then, you know, a handful of little disparate kind of committees. But but almost half of, of public companies are overseeing cyber at the audit committee. Um, at ESG, w- with respect to ESG, still evolving, but, but a significant amount of oversight responsibility is kept at the board for ESG. For, for a lot of companies. The, the next committee that probably has the most assignment of, of oversight responsibility would be non-gov. And, and what we have said at PwC is that we think ESG, as it plays out, is broad enough for like every committee to play in the sandbox. And, and at the audit committee, we think there are, we, we've come out, we said there's three areas where we think audit committee competency plays into them weighing in from an oversight perspective. And those areas are around process and control, around uh, disclosure, and around assurance. I mean, that's what they do all the time. I mean, and so why would you ask NomGov to kind of deal with those kinds of things? And, and while there are no rules yet on ESG processes and controls, is it, you know, a lot of discussion should it be socks like or, or uh, how, how, you know, how stringent should the controls be? What, how does management need to test them? All that kinds of things. I, the winds are clearly blowing towards a socks like environment. I don't know how long it's going to take to get there, but, but I can tell you today I have more conversations with directors, audit committee members that are saying that's important. Yeah, we're talking to our management team about how we're going to do that. Um, everybody sees the writing on the wall that there are going to be disclosures in the 10Ks and 10Qs that that you've never disclosed before. And, um, and so before management teams start putting out numbers that people are going to rely on, audit committee members want to make sure that there's a process and there are controls in place to make sure that those things are accurate, complete, reliable, comparable. Um, and then what are you going to say, you know, and how are you going to say it and where are you going to say it? And, and audit committees, again, you know, that's what they do all day long. That's part of their core, core oversight responsibility when it comes to financial reporting. So why wouldn't we put that kind of underneath them? And then finally, do we need anybody, uh, some third party, or internal audit to, to give us assurance that we're doing what we're saying that we need to do. Um, and, and so I, again, you won't see that at every audit committee, you're, you're seeing bits and pieces of things, but I think the winds are blowing. That's where we're headed. If, if we're talking about this again in two years from now, it's probably um, we're, we're, we're going to be way down that path for sure. It may not even take two years. Heather. So Stephen, going back to balance, then we started with a very long list of things that audit committees need to do. And, you know, and already, again, I can picture going back even a few years, packed year-end agenda. Now, 
all these new items come in and come on top. So how do managements and audit committees think about balancing those core responsibilities with all of these new and emerging issues? Yeah, and that's that's the $64 million question. You know, and if I could if I could nail out the answer for that, I wouldn't be doing this. <laughs> You'd be managing uh, <laughs> lots of different boards. <laughs> I, I might be. I mean, retired somewhere. Um, the the um, so it's a little bit of of kind of a lot of the things that we've talked about. I think it is. It, it's it's a focus on efficiency and effectiveness, really, um, and and some things that we've seen. So just. Again, we think about our senior executives that are hopefully listening to us. It, it, it is, it's around challenging yourself on the information that you put into the pre-reads, um, recognizing that that they're probably they're, they think you expect them to read everything that goes in there. And there's nothing wrong with putting a lot of material in there. Um, I would say, you know, use appendices to kind of indicate, hey, maybe this isn't quite as important. Um, I've seen some companies say, this is material that you have to read. This is material that would be a good read. And this is material just for your information only. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, so, so, so taking advantage of kind of their, their, uh, the time before the meeting, you know, getting them focused. On, and, and that's why I think those executive summaries are important because even when you have all that material and, and dashboards are are important. I, I can kind of navigate a forty page deck that's got two pages of of key metrics in dashboards, and, and now I can go dig for you know the one that I want to learn a little bit more about, without having to kind of go through all of that that data. And you know, I'll just I want to share this funny story just because Heather. Um, I, I this this is about a year ago. I was talking to a, a, an executive management team, and and I was talking about this you know, the importance of sharing with them, uh, with, with the audit committee, the changes that were in the document. And I said, do you guys, do you give them a, a new document or do you, do you indicate where the changes are? And they said, oh yeah, we, we, we tell them, we give them a change document. And I, I said, well, can I see your materials? Just, I'll be happy to flip them. And so they sent it to me. Well, you know what their, their change document that they gave the audit committee was the first marked draft. Oh no. So every number was changed. Every everything was changed. And, and but it it what was good for me was I was like, well okay, not everybody understands what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, they answered the question accurately. You know, they they did give their audit <laughs> committee the ch- but that wasn't helping with efficiency. No. <laughs> no. So, it's confusing yeah, if you yeah, see so, that many red lines. So I had to go back, you know, I was like maybe I wasn't clear. I'm talking about like five things that are different. Not every, you know, a, a document that shows every number has been changed. Right. I can picture like the yellow um, highlight or yeah, something. It, it, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and of course when it is accompanied by an executive summary, it makes it really easy to get through it. Uh, you know, wh- which of the 35 risk factors are really new? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what page are they on? I'll go read those and, and maybe not all the others. I can read the headlines of some of those others. So uh, back to the, the period between when they get the materials and, and they have the meeting, you can you can help them navigate that period a little bit more efficiently. And then when I when you get into the meeting, it's it's like taking... And I'll, I'll use us, for instance, and, and just speak, you know, for, for me, um, it's like taking my PwC 15 minute allocation and really challenging myself. Do I really need to talk 15 minutes? I know I got a 50 page doc. I mean, because it comes out of our audit committee reporter tool. It's a great tool and it's good information. But when I get in the room to deliver the information that if you will, is strategic, is beneficial to to the committee members exercising their oversight responsibility. I really need to be thoughtful about what are those key messages? What am I going to point them to? And it's not every page. Um, it's, it's, It's likely not even, they know where the required communications are. They just need to know if there's anything that we should really be talking about. You know, we're allowed to write those things down. We don't have to read each one of those and say them. And and, and most of our partners are not doing that. But it's it's really around, can I take that 15 minutes and make it eight? And if everybody can cut four or five minutes, then we create space 
you know, Heather, to deal with some of these other things. And, and then these other things don't have to be all in one meeting, right? They can be, they can be planned out throughout the year. And, and so like the average audit committee has about eight meetings a year. And that includes those calls, earnings call, or, you know, filing calls where you, you, they're pretty quick, 30 minutes or so, but, but that could be an opportunity in today's environment to have an extra 15 minute session on getting management to update uh, the company on uh, uh, the, the committee on a significant risk. Um, you know, one other area that that we've been talking with management teams a lot about is the way they talk about enterprise risk. So you see you see enterprise risk management be come underneath the audit committee. A lot of times today, more more, more so today, it's really good. You'll, you might even have a chief risk officer talk about the program and kind of own it. A lot of times it's internal audit that delivers that message to the audit committee. Um, but where we are talking to committee members and senior executives about is moving from this annual discussion of this process that, that, that culminates in a chart that has, you know, in the four quadrants, mm-hmm. all of the key risks and, and basically just has, has a, uh, a discussion that we, you know, we implemented our process and we want to talk about, you know, what's changed and why, and then how are we responding based on those changes? And, and for some companies, they've even adopted having, having a second discussion about that in the middle of the year to talk about how things might have evolved because they are seeing in different sectors, they're seeing the risks move on that, on that, you know, on, on that, uh, that scale they see them move pretty significantly and, 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 and much more quickly than before. And so they've said, no, we, we can't have one annual discussion and just check a box. We've got to, we've got to bring the committee members kind of into how we're thinking through this, because as those risks move, that impacts what internal audit might be doing. It might impact what disclosures need to be made. It might impact other key things that management's doing. And, and it's just finding, you know, you can do that even in a 15 minute window. Um, and so it's just carving out those those littler time slots that you can drop in throughout the year to deliver on um, those key messages and, and, and those key oversight responsibilities. And the last thing I'll say, Heather, that, that folks are willing to do and, and the virtual tools that we have today allows us to do it is you can you can have a one hour audit committee meeting off cycle. Nobody has to leave their house. You just dial in. And and you can accomplish a lot in sixty to ninety minutes um, without it being, you know. I mean, management's got to prepare, no doubt. Management's got to get materials prepared and and spend the time. But but you don't. Ha- it's not like I got to have a whole board meeting. I got to have everybody, you know, come to a certain location. You can fill in some of those gaps. And and some committees are adding an extra sixty minute meeting or something to deal with some of these one off issues. So, Stephen, it sounds like, you know, if we go back to where we started, setting your big picture agenda of what an audit committee needs to accomplish and when is very key. But then it's really challenging yourself. And what you said about the audit partner really resonated with me. Say, putting yourself in the audit committee member's shoes, what do they need to know from me today? And maybe all they really need to know is there was only one issue. We worked through it. Everyone cooperated. You know, we're, we're on time to report when we need to, and they'd be perfectly happy versus the long recital of sort of the, you know, all the, the ins and outs of performing an audit. And it's, I'm sure that applies equally elsewhere. I, I think that's an answer to success. And, and the last thing I would, uh, or what I would add to that to, to really drive some of that value home is so that's your that's your five minute, three minute deal, you know, four minute deal in the agenda. Then, then we show up in the executive session and we have a perspective on something. Maybe it's on culture and what are we seeing? Maybe it's on talent management and and that, you know, you know that we we want to make sure they know that management, the, the CAO's organization is on top of it. They are working hard to address that risk. That may not come up. It doesn't have to come up in the in, in the course of the regular agenda, but it's us sharing a perspective about something that we know the committee members are focused on. I mean, th- those list of things that we just talked about. 
pick one or two of those and and the and we should have a perspective. And and let me come back to your audience. I, I've talked to CAEs and CAOs and CFOs and said, you guys need to prepare for these sessions too. These are, I mean, I get it, right? I mean, how many have we been through? We're late coming out of the meeting. Now we got to go through three private sessions. Mm-hmm. Stephen, do you have anything for us? Like we're- Please don't. Way behind. Yes, <laughs> please don't. Uh, no, sir, everything's fine. I would have I said anything in the regular meeting, you know? And we just- Okay, please tell internal audit to come in next. Right. And that's missing an opportunity. Um, if you think about them, you know, all of a sudden we're all focused on time. I get that. But, but I think we can be more efficient in the meeting and then we can share, all of us, executive management too, more valuable perspectives for the committee that allows them to do better at their job in some of those sessions. So, Stephen, that leads into, I think, well, another question I had from this balance perspective I keep thinking about. And it's kind of the bookends of the relationship with, I'm going to focus on the audit committee or maybe even just the audit committee chair. And sort of, again, the bookends would be the chair that isn't that engaged and hopefully that's not something we're seeing a lot now, um, but you're kind of you know pulling to get their attention and input, and then the chair that's almost sort of the the micromanage. And again, you're not going to solve audit committee relationship issues in the next few weeks. But if I'm looking ahead and thinking about how can I most effectively work with them, what are some of the things you think about from again like that building the relationship between sort of key client partner, and then the key people on the audit committee. That, that again, you know, what, what a crazy web that, uh, that we may have to weave there. I, I think the maybe the most important thing to remember is that whether it's us as the audit partner, um, independent auditor, or it's our audience as the C-suite, we, we probably both have the exact same issue. So if, if, it, if the chair is a micromanager, they probably micromanage both of us. If, if the chair doesn't want to talk to us at all, and I've served one chair who told me he never wanted me to call him. It's, it's, oh, this that's is a tough communication. I mean, this is 20 plus years ago. You know, this okay, is, that's this good. is, I'm glad to hear that. this is old, this is old governance, but you know, I mean, he, he really didn't want to talk to the CFO either. I mean, he just assumed the CFO and I were going to take care of everything. Mm-hmm. And, and so we can um, learn from each other because we're both probably dealing with the same stuff. And, and we can also work together in, in educating. And, and I think there's fewer, there might, might be more micromanagers. There's fewer of those that that are, uh, you know, not involved today because the stakes are high. I mean, they just, and, and they get it. Um, I, I think we've got really good audit committees today, certainly compared to 20, 25 years ago. They, they get it. They're owning it. Um, can they be better? You know, absolutely. We've been talking about a little tweaks here and there this whole session. Um, but I think you just got to reach out to them. you you got to, you know, you got to engage one-on-one outside the meeting. And, and if you're the, the, if the senior executive, I think it is asking, it's asking the simple question of let's talk about how, how you want us to deliver this material. And, and then you may even need to, uh, to enlist support of other committee members. I've, I've served a committee where, um, the chair was a great chair and the chair had a very loud voice. Um, the chair had been there for ages. And, and so, you know, that's part of a board, board culture element. But, but there were some new, new directors that sat on the audit committee that had a lot of value to bring. And, and as I made my way around to each one of them, I learned their perspectives. And, and then when I shared generally some of those perspectives with the chair, um, the chair actually softened a little bit um, and, and didn't realize that. And so we, we ended up in a good place because of communication. So I just think the answer is communicate, 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 and do, you know, do it outside the meeting. And we've got time to do some of that. 
So Stephen, I think a key thing there is trust, right? You have to build that trust between all of those key parties involved. And then that is going to lead to higher functioning audit committee and, you know, relationship with senior management and, and the auditor. You, you nailed it. I would say um, that we, we can build trust over, you know, video like this, but it's a little harder, at least for me, than, than when we could hang out together, be around a table together, meet in the, at the water cooler or the coffee pot. And, and I've heard executives be concerned about that. You know, they're serving, they're serving audit committee members that they've never met before physically. And, and they want they, you know, they want to earn that trust from them that I'm, I'm telling you uh, a status and, and I want you to trust that I'm telling you the truth and we're working this. And, and so, yeah, that's the objective. That's important to get to for sure. You're exactly yeah. right. I think that's probably a whole other podcast that we could talk about building those types of relationships in a remote environment. Uh, We've kind of hit a lot of different topics. Any other sort of tips that you would give in terms of effective, you know, thinking about audit committee effectiveness? Um, You you know, one, I'll just mention one other thing, because I've, I've actually, uh, I, I didn't think it would work. Uh, but 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 I've had two very sophisticated um, audit committees put this in place, and they said it made a difference. It, it doesn't. I don't know that it changes the total time at all. But but what we started talking about um, two things. We we talked about a consent agenda. So what what are things that are getting reported to the audit committee that actually they're really just informational. For instance, a compliance and ethics report that doesn't have any issues can be something that can be read and can be accepted in a consent agenda item without having to have some sort of carved out presentation that happens during the meeting. Um, so I think there are opportunities to roll reports that don't require anything, even, even an element of internal audit reporting could be in a consent agenda. And the other thing is, is having an executive session of the audit committee before the meeting. So only the committee members. I was suggesting it would take, you know, 15 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes. The the two chairs who've done it have taken longer than that. But where you come together, everybody's read the materials. Um, Let's talk about what you guys think is really important that we cover over the next 90 minutes, 120 minutes, whatever they have. Getting agreement from the committee members about where we're going to focus and where we want to target um, before we get to those sections. And, and so, it, again, it's them operating more efficiently and effectively. They're all on the same page. And then they can even come back and meet for 10 minutes afterwards and say, okay, what are all of our takeaways? It sounds like we're adding time. And, and so I wasn't sure how well that would be received, but I hear good feedback um, that it's actually helping from an effectiveness and efficiency. Well, I could see just from an engagement perspective, it really gets the audit committee members more invested in the conversation and you kind of have a sense for what's going to be hit in the meeting. I actually could see how if I was an audit committee member, I'd really like that idea. So, all right. Well, Stephen, I, when we were talking, I feel like we could do an entire series on audit committee best practices. So I may be coming back to you, but hopefully you'll still want to after we get to my favorite part of the show, which is talking about how I'm going to stump you. And I'll warn you now, uh, team came up with some tough questions. So don't feel bad if you can't answer them. Heather, I'm, I'm going to have hardly any opportunity to do I stink at this game, but okay. All right. Well, that's fine. They, I have to say they turned the tables and they completely stumped me. So if it makes you feel any better earlier this year. All right. So first one, 1939 was the year that the New York Stock Exchange first endorsed the concept of an audit committee, which is actually longer ago than I would have thought. That same year, a residence that has become a landmark in American architecture was constructed partially over a waterfall by a very prominent American architect. So if you just want to guess a prominent architect, you, you might be able to get there. I don't, I don't, my, my middle son is an architect and I don't know any prominent architects. You well, will, I think, say like, oh, of course. I probably will. you hear the answer. Some home over a waterfall? 
That's, I was thinking that. I don't know. All right. That's fine. That's good. I like stumping the guests. I told you. So I will share with the audience the answer. Fact check. My content team successfully stumped Stephen with this one. The correct answer is Frank Lloyd Wright, and the structure is the Falling Water House. Guess Stephen's son remains the architecture expert of the family. And added fact, Frank Lloyd Wright from Wisconsin, just like me. So this one, you, this one I actually think you might get. Which iconic movie that gave us the line, leave the gun, take the cannoli, was the top grossing film in box offices the year that the SEC first recommended that publicly held companies establish audit committees comprised of independent directors. I can give you a hint what year that was, if you would like. That's not going to help me. How am I supposed to feel after this when you finish with this one? <laughs> You're supposed to be laughing. I am laughing. The, the okay, that's father? good. Yes, no. you're right. Uh, I, I normally would not tell you so enthusiastically, but after all that buildup that you didn't know, I had I had to uh, give you that positive. Are you serious? That yes, 1972. To, that was one of my favorite movie series. There you go. Fact check. Okay, you already know he got this one right because I just couldn't hide my surprise. Stephen really didn't think he was going to get it. So nice work. The Godfather is the correct answer, and the year was 1972. All right. Well, Stephen, thank you for the insight. Thanks for being a good sport about my questions, <laughs> and really appreciate you joining me today. Hey, Heather, it's great to be with you. Look forward to visiting another time. That's our show for today. Join me this Thursday for our special current events episode. For the next two weeks, we're taking a little break from Finance 2025 series to focus on a couple current events that are important for businesses. This week, we're taking a year ahead assessment on the events and issues shaping 2022. Speaking of staying current on trending issues, if you haven't already registered for upcoming quarterly discussion of the latest ESG accounting and reporting developments in the US and abroad, head on over to viewpoint.pwc.com. There are two broadcast dates being offered, February 17th and March 2nd, so I hope you'll tune in. So that you never miss an episode of any of our content, follow the PwC Accounting Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. From Thought Leadership at PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates, and they sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.